Word of God through John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Title of this sermon is Loved by God and Hated by the World. Loved by God and Hated by the World. We've talked a lot about or looked at a lot of how the Lord loves us, how we are to love one another, love our brothers and sisters in Christ, indeed. And we've been studying this farewell discourse of Jesus that contains some of the most encouraging and comforting words for his disciples, and encouraging and comforting for us as well. Yet as his teaching draws to a close, as the Garden of Gethsemane is closer and closer in view, Jesus is clear that there is a cost to follow him, a significant cost that has not changed, a cost that is for us as well. To follow Jesus Christ means to be hated by the world. Jesus was opposed by many in the world during his time of earthly ministry. Even as he lived a godly life, spoke the truth, loved people, and healed people. He endured hostility and was persecuted. Those who follow Christ should also expect hostility and persecution in this world. And when we consider as the world responds to us as Christians with, with hostility, we go back to the fact that it is because, indeed, they hate Jesus Christ. First and foremost, that is, indeed, the reason. Let's look at these scriptures here, verse 18 through 27. This is part one of a two-part message here, actually through verse 25. We won't get through all of these verses this morning. John 15, beginning in verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world will love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a just cause. I'll indeed ask the Lord again for help this day. Father, I ask for help from the Holy Spirit of God as I preach your word this morning that I indeed would be hidden away and that, God, you would give me what... You would have me to say this day, O Lord, that we would understand your scriptures, that you would give 
grace for us to hear and to abide and to live by your word and to look at this text this morning as a warning and an encouragement for us. In Jesus' name, amen. First point, really, for us is hated by the world. Several points. I'll just read them for you now and we'll... Um, don't copy them down, I'm going to go too fast. Hated by the world, chosen out of the world, persecution from the world, counting the cost in this world, and the price to redeem us as he came into this world. So we see we have five points. When I get to third, you say he's almost done. Maybe, maybe not. That's why I don't like to give you how many points I have first, so that way you have no idea what's coming. The element of surprise. But this world here, we see this, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. We see the world mentioned several times in these scriptures. We see hatred mentioned several times in these scriptures. And the world is used in several different ways in the New Testament, and we'll see what it means here. It's in sharp contrast, as we'll see. We ask who or what is considered the world here in this context. Answer really is the world system that is opposed to God. The world system that is opposed to God. Controlling mentality of uh, more broadly defined, um, the controlling mentality of unbelieving mankind with its rewards and sanctions, its expectations, ideologies, and practices, all of which are in rebellion to God and his rule. It's a quote by Richard Phillips. So that is what is considered the world here in this context. When Jesus was teaching in his ministry to his disciples, the opposing world was primarily the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Later, when John wrote the Gospel of John, the world was that primarily was the Roman Empire that persecuted believers, crucifixions that took place. Both the religious leaders and the Roman Empire were opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world is used five times in verse 19. Here again, it does not mean the globe, human population all over the earth. It is the world system. The world's values, pleasures, aspirations. This is the world that does not know God that is in rebellion towards God, that indeed hates Jesus Christ. Hated by the world. And Jesus is clear, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If the world hates you. There's no implication here that there is doubt about it. We merely need to consider Jesus' follow-up statement. You know that it has hated me before it hated you. You know can be an indicative or an imperative in the translation, saying, you know this, and then an explanation, or know this, disciples. Know this, that if the world hates you, you know that it hated me, says Jesus, before it hates you. So the disciples and, and us, Christians, 
disciples of Jesus Christ should not be surprised that the world hates us. They were not surprised or should not have been surprised that the world hated them, and we should not be surprised that the world hates us. Because Jesus tells them this, and indeed, would be the case. Think about this. Think about the contrast here. The love of God, that the love of God has towards his people. We've examined that a bit. The particular love that he has for the child of God. The electing love. The love that the Christian has for one another. And that the Christian has also for the lost sinner. Christians are to be known by their love. We say this, we see this in Scripture. We, there's a hymn of they will be known by their love, by their love, indeed. But in contrast, the world is known by its hatred, specifically hatred of Jesus Christ. Some of it is more overt at times, but that's what the Scripture teaches us. So therefore, the world also hates followers of Jesus Christ. We must not sugarcoat the appeal that one must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Jesus. Here in the West would be United States, Canada, more so us now. We are concerned for the persecuted church in other parts of the world, right? We pray for the persecuted church. We talk about the persecuted church. We support churches that are persecuted through heart cry ministries and such. In other parts of the world, they are concerned for Christianity here in the United States of America because Christianity in the United States of America tends to be very shallow. Listen to a Yugoslavian Christian who suffered under communist persecution. Peter Kuzmik is his name. He says this, So much popular Western evangelical religiosity is so shallow and selfish. It promises so much and demands so little. It offers success, personal happiness, peace of mind, material prosperity. We've seen that before. But it hardly speaks of repentance, sacrifice, self-denial, holy lifestyle, and willingness to die for Jesus Christ. And so when he has this quote here, and he says, and he says that uh, the Western version of Christianity hardly speaks of these things, well, these things, repentance, sacrifice, self-denial, holy lifestyle, willingness to die for Christ, are what we find in the Scripture. A suffer-free, persecution-free Christianity is foreign to the New Testament. A Christianity that involves no sacrifice, no hardship, no opposition from the world is not true Christianity at all. Paul wrote, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Do you desire this? Do you desire to live godly in Jesus Christ? I can't imagine anyone here would say, yes, I desire to follow Jesus Christ, but I would desire to be ungodly in Jesus Christ. No, if you desire to live godly in Jesus Christ, that means follow Jesus Christ, you indeed will be persecuted. To live godly in Jesus Christ will bring trouble. Being different from the world, from its standards, 
from its narratives. It will be costly and can be perilous. How so and why so? Christians, we are light in a dark world. We are salt in a world that's filled with open wounds. And it's a painful process for those open wounds, is it not? If the world hates you, says Jesus, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. This perfect, active, indicative verse ongoing. Has hated, continues to hate. Jesus. One thing we can say about this world for sure. There was an alien from another planet that came to visit this world. I'm not saying that there is aliens. Please don't say, I think that or believe that. I'm just giving you an illustration. And they said, tell me a little bit about your world. What does it think about such and such? We can say one thing for sure we know about our world is that it has a hatred for Jesus Christ. That we cannot deny. Lloyd-Jones says, if you want to know that what this world is like, look what it did to him. To Christ. He gave himself to healing people and to instructing them. He went about doing good. What was the response of the world, he asks? It hated him. It persecuted him. It rejected him. It chose a murderer before him. It crucified him. It killed him. And there on that cross, he exposed the world for what it is. So when we say, what is the world like? We go, we look at the cross. What did man do to Jesus? Who knew no sin, nor was there any deceit found in his mouth. Who did no wrong. Who loved people. Who cared for people. Who healed people. Who preached nothing but the truth. Now the word hate is a strong word, is it not? If we were to say that in conversation. I hate this or I hate that. I hate you. I'm not saying I do. I'm saying that. I love you. That's another strong word. Love. Is it not? Powerful words. Jesus uses the word hate eight times in these verses that are before us. And just as love can have many levels or, or forms or can look different ways, look, look different many ways, hate can as well. There is a difference in level of hatred of Christ when one shuns his teachings. There's a difference between that and calling for his execution. Still hatred. Just a matter of how far one is willing to go, how far to pray if someone is. Crucify him, crucify him, they shouted. There is a difference in the hatred of a Christian that one of us would endure by being mocked in contrast with being physically beaten, tortured, or martyred. The hatred is still there. And considering when the mockery we may endure in the workplace, at school, whatever it is. All of those who mock will answer to that before God. I mean, it's easy to mock someone who does not retaliate. 
Just like it's easy for us to mock someone like Mike Tyson, the way he used to talk, or maybe still talks, and the way in his interviews. And I remember back in the day, you know, people would mock him the way he spoke. I guarantee you, if he was in the room with you, no one would say anything. Be, sir, may I hold your jacket for you? Something along those lines. Cover your ears as well. Some of you will get that later. But if you were to mock someone like Mike Tyson in his presence, you would pay for it. You mock a Christian, ultimately the unbeliever is going to answer to God for it. Hated by the world. And the world likes to group us together, doesn't it? It likes to group true Christians with some other groups that are on the, the mainstream, whatever they are, don't even want to name any of the names, and they say, oh, look at that, those are all Christians. They did all of this, and then they see someone here who is a Christian, and they say, ah, he's one of them. It's an unfortunate thing, but it's reality, and that's just the way it is. So, how much more should we stand out as true believers when there are false believers in the world representing, trying to represent Christ and Christians? So we are going to be, and we are, hated by the world because Christ was hated by the world. And we remember that it's because they hate Jesus. And that should be the reason that they hate us, not because we as Christians are obnoxious, not because we are rude, not because we are ungodly. It should be because of our godliness and who we represent. Second point, we were chosen out of the world. Look at verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. Several reactions here, several things to look at. Again, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, so there we know, disciples of Jesus Christ are not of the world. It's right there before us. We can understand that. We can take that away. Simple, profound, although. But I chose you out of the world. Once again, we see that. Once again, we see election. Once again, we see God choosing some out of this world. Because of this, the world hates you. There's a reason for us. If you belong to this world, the world would love you. The implication, of course, is that those who follow Jesus Christ are not of this world. Do we live in this world? Do we function with people of the world? Absolutely, we have to. That is, we're called to engage with the people of this world. But we are not to be of this world. We do not belong to this world. We are strangers. We are aliens, pilgrims. But we are not recipients of the, wor- of the love of this world because they do not truly love God's own. Jesus says, But because you are not of the world... We do not belong to it. The world loves its own. Why? Why does the world love its own? Because the world is in darkness and loves darkness. Jesus is the light of the world, right? 
Christians, we are lights in this world. Therefore, the conclusion is darkness does not love light. We are lights in this world. It exposes darkness. Darkness wants nothing to do with that. Get out of here. I hate you. Jeremiah Burroughs, Puritan. He says, there is nothing more provoking to the world than separation from the world. And therefore, it is no marvel that the people of God are hated in the world and looked upon as the ringleaders of sedition. It's interesting. When you go out and do evangelism, you could hold a nice sign, well done sign, standing there, um, something about repentance and, and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and just stand there, and you'll have ladies dressed nice, possibly in their 60s, walk by you and provide you with a a wave with one finger, if you follow me. Real class acts. Classy. To do that and say horrific things to you and you're just standing there holding Scripture. Since you, Christian, are not of the world... Do not expect to be loved by the world. If you're a Christian here this morning, or a professing Christian here this morning, you say, everybody in the world loves me. What's the problem? I don't get this. There's a huge problem then. Huge problem. And it's not with the world, it's with you. Something's going on there. I chose you out of the world, says the Lord. Elected out of the world by Jesus Christ. Christ has chosen a people, his people, out of the world. Specifically, he chose his disciples, sent them out in the world, and we understand the doctrine of election. He chooses his people out of the world to save them. Some will hesitate to teach openly on the doctrine of election. Yet Jesus taught his disciples openly the doctrine of election. Indeed, Jesus teaches that this is one of the main reasons the world hates them and indeed hates us as well. Why? Because he chose us out of the world. He chose us for salvation. He chooses us in order that we would bear fruit. The reminders, verse 2, verse 4, verse 5, and verse 8 that we have gone over. We're not going to go back there now. Because we are chosen out of this world, the world hates us. Because of this, he says, the world hates you. And consider this, uh, James Boyce. He says this, Nothing so stirs up the hatred of the worldly mind than the teaching that God, in sovereign grace, elected some and does not elect others. Think about that. And he, Dr. Boyce quoted this of unbelievers. This is true as well in the, in the church today with professing believers or Christians who, have, who just m- severely misunderstand the doctrine of election. They have a problem with this. And, you know, if you grapple with the doctrine of election, it, study it out, continue to study it out. Let's go to Romans chapter 9 for a moment and look at this briefly. But please... There's the 90s or early 2000 phrases of, uh, that someone, when they try to argue it out, of, we are not robots. Please don't use that phrase. It's old. It's outdated. Find something else if you're grappling with it. 
Uh, or here's another one is when we often talk about free will, we have free will this, we have free will this. Well, understand this, not for salvation you don't. So be careful with that term. Romans 9, verse 15. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. God will have mercy on who he's going to have mercy. He's going to have compassion on whom he's going to have compassion. None of us in here deserve mercy. None of us in here deserve compassion. Continue on, verse 16. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath, and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which we are, which he prepared beforehand for glory. Amen. It's clear there in the scriptures. Because of this, says the Lord, the world hates you. A definite, specific reason for hatred from the world towards Christians. We are light. The world is darkness. We have the Holy Spirit of God. The world does not. People of the world do not. Obviously, there's going to be a friction there, right? Our very existence is a scent that the world cannot handle. We must ask the question and seek to answer it in our own lives. For all of us who are here, does the world hate you? Ask this question of yourself today as you go about your day, as you, as you go home and you think of this teaching, and you say, does the world hate me? Do those in your spheres, whether it be work, school, etc., Know that you no longer are of this world? Or do they say, hey, this, this guy fits right in. Maybe he's just a little religious. I hear he goes to church on three out of four Sundays, occasional Wednesday night. But I mean, <laughs> I never see him with his Bible. I never hear him talk about Jesus. I never see the man pray or the woman pray over their food. Or is the way, your way of life, so like the world, 
what you do, where you go, what you watch, that there is little or no distinction. Has the world become more Christian, or have Christians become more like the world? The problem with some specifically raised in a church, especially a Reformed-thinking church, a Reformed-minded church, that they may know these doctrines such as election and predestination, may know them and know them well, but they do not know God. Some of you have been in this church for a number of years. You're raised in this church from diapers, I guess. And now you're 30s, 40s, whatever it may be. And you have stayed in a local church and you have stayed with following Jesus Christ. You are a Christian. And then you have multitudes, maybe several that you have been raised with, that you were teenagers with, that maybe went to this church with you and left the church. Okay, do they go to another church? No, they haven't been to church in five, six years. They live like the world. Well, we need to start calling them what they are. A Christian does not live like this. A.W. Pink says, when I, when I have chosen you out of the world, when that quote from Jesus, when I have chosen you out of the world becomes a practical reality, then the world's rage and ban will be displayed. One of the marks of a converted man or woman is a love for God and love for other Christians. Praise God. Amen. We see that in the Gospel of John. We see it in 1 John. We've studied it and we absolutely want to continue to be known by our love. We want to be the most loving people people have ever met in their lives as Christians. Biblical love towards them, not love according to the world, mind us. And with people coming here and we want to be loving towards them, visitors loving towards them, loving towards other Christians, of course. We looked at that. We've studied that. We should pray on that. God, help me to be more loving. And we need to be known by our love and speak the truth in love. And we hear this and we understand this. Yet another mark of a Christian man or woman is that you will be hated by the world. We don't like to talk about that, though, do we? We like to talk about how this person needs to be more loving or that person needs to be more loving. But we don't like to talk about, you know what? Every Christian will be hated by this world. Let this truth be engraved upon your soul that you hated God as well until he changed your heart. If a person is never born again, they will continue to hate God their entire life. The mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. Romans 8, 7. How does anyone even love God? Well, we love God because he first, what? Loved us. 1 John 4. So we are going to be hated by the world because Jesus is hated by the world. The Christians, we are chosen out of this world. 
And then, thirdly, there's persecution from the world. Verse 20 of John 15. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. He said a similar thing, I think, in in chapter 13, verse 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than one who sent him. So we've seen this before, and he says it again. If they persecuted me, says Jesus. Okay, did they persecute Jesus? Yes, they did. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you, those who follow Jesus Christ. If they keep my word or have kept my word, indeed, did some keep his word? Absolutely, yes. They will keep yours also, you that teach the truth of Jesus Christ, specifically to the disciples here who are going out to preach his word. They persecuted Jesus. They will persecute his followers. You here this morning, Christian, you follow Jesus Christ, you will be persecuted. On some level, some way, shape, or form, it's going to happen if it has not already. And it's probably not going to get better by way of persecution. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. So we look at this. The world hates disciples of Jesus Christ because it hates Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ says they hate me because they hate the one who sent me. Who's the one who sent? The Father. When one, one rejects Jesus, they are also rejecting the Father. When the world rejects God, who is revealed through His Son, the world also rejects the representation of His Son, Christians. Those who rep the King. That would be you and me. Jesus says that persecution will come because of my name. And that is the reason why it should be there. Because of His name. Again, not because of our actions that are ungodly or the way that we live that should not be or the things that we say, but because of His name. So we ought to be careful in our interactions when we go out and about. I love going out and about to good coffee shops, poor coffee shops, not going to spend my money. Good coffee, I love to go there. Consistent coffee places, I love to just interact with people. Sit down there, open my Bible, have books, and just drink coffee and talk to whoever it is. Whoever it is. And there's one man who works at a particular coffee shop who dresses like a woman. And he's the nicest coffee barista type person, whatever, that I've encountered for the most part. Am I going to say, oh, I'm not going to talk to him now. I'm never coming back here again. No, I'm going there because I want to try to engage him, first off, because he's wearing a cross around his neck. And my goal is to go there and witness to him. Friendship evangelism, the long-term version of evangelism, right? So I could, at the other end, you know, act completely in a way I should not act and say things, harsh things towards this individual for no reason, what's that going to do? There's a time and place 
So let us be careful when we engage in this depraved world that is getting more and more rebellious and more and more perverted by the day. There's lost people out there. God's elect are out there. And they don't look like what we think they may look like coming through these doors. Before Saul of Tarsus was converted, what was he doing? He was persecuting Christians. Brilliant mind, brilliant man, going out persecuting Christians, making sure that they were put to death, that they were jailed, that they were beating, beaten. While, on the, uh, while he was confronted on the road to Damascus by the Lord, the Lord said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's what Jesus says. Was, was Saul actively persecuting Jesus Like the man Jesus Christ in his ministry? No. The physical man, the God-man Jesus. No, but he was persecuting his followers, and Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? It It all goes back to Jesus. It all goes back to the hatred the world has of Jesus Christ. In Acts 9, again, Jesus says, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Again, we read, who was Paul persecuting? He was persecuting Christians. He was going after them until the Lord radically converted him. And they will persecute you, and they will persecute me. How? What does this look like? Well, different Levels of persecution looks different in different places, depending on laws, depending on uh, what God has in store for a particular place. It's only by the grace of God that we here in this country still have the ability to worship openly like we do. But many forms, many, many spheres of persecution can happen in family. Some have family who it seems like everyone and their brother and their cousin and their second and third and fourth, fifth cousin are all Christians. And praise God, indeed, if that's the truth. But most of us or many of us have family with people in our families who who hate Jesus Christ and maybe tolerate us on some level. But we can't go too far or say too much or even mention the name of Jesus because then that will will be cut off once again. Some of you here can relate, yes? So we have that. Are they physically beating us? No. Does it hurt? And can it hurt? Yes. And then there's school. Some of you in school, whether it be homeschool co-ops. Not everyone in a homeschool co-op, not every child in a homeschool co-op is a born-again Christian. And they're going to be influenced by someone at some time. And they're going to influence your child who is raised in a Christian home, who may be a regenerate Christian, at some form in some time. Same thing with Christian schools. Pay a lot of money. Pay a lot of money to go send your child to a Christian school. Wonderful. They get in a great curriculum. Bunch of reprobates along with them. Children who don't know God, who have uh, parents who do not know God many times. Maybe it's not like that up here, but it sure is in Florida. Just sign this thing and say you're a Christian and boom, send them in there. Or even help you pay for it. And then you have the parents wanting to have their child in a, in a Christian-educated school system. 
and the teachers are doing their best and they are Christians and they're trying to help. And then there's children along with those children who can watch whatever they want to watch, who can say pretty much whatever they want to say, do whatever they want to do. And then there's public school, of course, as well. Levels of persecution there. I couldn't imagine how that could be. But there are God's people throughout every one of those institutions. I have my keys in my pocket. I just realized that. Work. That's another sphere, right? Many of you, most of you, all of you work in a place, maybe you own a place, that there's unbelievers working there. And you have to deal with how they treat you. And then there's friends, quote-unquote friends. And then, most, most hostility I've ever received in my life I would say, and this is a history of my life of being a Christian, uh, has been when I have sought to evangelize and the hostility comes from professing Christians. I'm not doing it the right way. You should be saying this or saying that. I don't like this gospel track. You should be doing this instead. Why are you even out here? These kind of things. Hostility. Maybe is a better word, not persecution. And then the, the authorities, the authority figures that are anti-God and will seek to tighten the grip. So there's hatred by the world, chosen out of the world, persecution from the world, and then the cost of discipleship in this world. Verse 21. But all of these things they will do to you for my name's sake. Again, here, there's the focus. For Jesus' name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. What things? Well, we see the preceding verses. They will hate you, Christian. They will not have an affection for you. They will indeed persecute you, some way, level, shape, or form, all because of Jesus. It happened when he was physically on this earth, and it happened when he left this earth. Peter and John were arrested. What were they told by the authorities? Do you remember in Acts? They commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus Christ. So what could they do? Just open up the scriptures and, or they could proclaim anything they wanted but just not talk about Jesus and they were fine. And they said, no, we will not and we cannot stop preaching about Christ. The world has a problem with Jesus. Why? Because they do not know God. The world hates Christians because it hates their king. Some here, again, may say, I don't face any type of persecution. I get along really well with the world, the people of the world, so I am confused. No, you should not be confused. You should be concerned. You should be concerned. Not only is Jesus to be loved above all things, he is to be radically followed no matter the cost. Let's go to Luke briefly. Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. Familiar text for us, so we'll move through it pretty quick. Luke 
the call to discipleship is, is clear. Luke chapter, did I say 14, verse 25. <clears throat> and we'll just go to verse 28, okay? Now large crowds were going along with him, with Jesus, and he turned and said to them. So picture this in your sanctified imagination. Large crowds following along with Jesus. Excited. Want to see what he's going to do next. And he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Okay, let's stop right there for a moment. Wow, these are some strong words. Wow. Hate? Large crowds? Jesus was rising in popularity? The crowd looking for miracles, looking to see what... What would happen? Atmosphere was exciting. Spectators galore. They would watch as no one else could outwit, could outdebate this man, Christ. It must have been quite the sight to see. People would challenge Jesus. He would just lay them out with his words. They could not argue with him. And he would be kind and he would heal people and he would do these miracles and people would see this and they would follow him. Yet Jesus was not looking for spectators. He was calling for disciples. What does he say? Well, verse 26, telling people to hate what they love. And that's no way to win a popularity contest. Such confrontations would cause many to walk away. And this was exactly what the intention of the Lord was. This is why He said it. And some will do that today. Some who would stand in a pulpit will try to avoid people walking away from the church. Will try to avoid them walking away from the fold. Will say such things and try to avoid the hard things who try to avoid saying what Jesus said in order to keep the crowds. Well, what does Jesus mean by this? Well, quick summary from Thomas Boston, who says, No man can be a true disciple of Jesus Christ to whom Christ is not dearer than what is dearest to him in the world. Again, Thomas Boston says, No man can be a true disciple of Jesus Christ to whom Christ is not dearer than what is dearest to him in the world. The scripture often uses absolute language of hatred to expose a shocking comparison of degrees of affection. And furthermore, the the word hate is used to mean you let go of it if necessary to follow Jesus Christ. This does not contradict the fifth commandment in Exodus chapter 20 about loving your father and your mother. That is the fifth, yeah. To hate, to let go of, if necessary, to follow Christ. Absolute language of hatred to express a shocking comparing degrees of affection. Christ must be your ultimate Loyalty. 
He must mean more to us than everyone and everything. What he's telling us here is to not let the claim of others interfere with the call he has in our lives, or the claim that he has in our lives. Unless Jesus is your highest affection, you cannot be his disciple. In verse 27 again, Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now again, in our sanctified imagination, we can understand what is going on here because we understand what happened with crucifixion in some way by reading about it and and hearing about it, but none of us in here have seen this before. We understand what execution is in modern terms, modern ways, but here they would understand exactly what was meant. Crucifixion, cross-bearing. What does that mean for the disciples? What was the most gruesome form of execution? To be crucified was, of course, the death penalty for traitors, criminals, or slaves. To see one carry a cross was to see a man on his way to die, on a way to be executed, an excruciating death. It was a symbol of humiliation, rejection, and pain of the worst kind. Jesus told his disciples earlier in chapter 9 of Luke, in verse 22 through 23, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. This hardly sounds like the modern message of inviting Jesus into your heart and praying this little prayer, and you're all set. Cross-bearing is for every disciple of Christ. We have given up any claim to our own life. The cost. Consider the cost. Look at the... Verse 28, Luke 14. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. The cost, when someone buys a property or you build a home, or you decorate something elaborately, or you add on addition, whatever it is, it behooves us to count the cost. It is wise, and you would save yourself a lot of sorrow and a lot of heartache to ask the pondering question, what is this going to cost anyway? What is the hidden cost? Several things to consider. First, what is covered already, it will cost you favor in this world to follow Jesus Christ. It'll cost you favor in this world. Not always in every circumstances. If someone is a great employee, and wow, he's a great employee because he's a Christian, the other employees might not necessarily like this, but the employer, the one who's in charge does, and says, wow, I see this in his life, and he's going to get the the bonus, or he's going to get the higher position because of the the way he does his work. Might not even have an idea that this man is a Christian, or this woman is a Christian. But following Christ, it will cost you favor in this world. 
Count it not strange to be mocked, to be ridiculed, to be slandered and persecuted and hated. The world will think you are a fool. They will think that you are the one who is brainwashed. Some of us have heard this before. I've heard it many times. Oh, you're just brainwashed. Oh, really? Really? Okay. How can one be brainwashed when it's an unbelievable gospel? We believe that a man went to a cross, died on that cross, and rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. We can only believe such a gospel if God opens our eyes to believe this gospel, which is foolishness to the world, but to us who is being saved, it is a power of God unto salvation. It'll cost you your pride. J.C. Ryle put it this way. One must be willing to give up all trust in his own morality, respectability, praying, reading, church-going, and trust in nothing but Jesus Christ. Nothing but Jesus Christ. It'll cost you your sin. You want to follow Christ, you must kiss the ways of the world goodbye. You must be willing to give up everything if necessary to follow Christ. A Christianity that costs nothing is worth nothing. It is useless. It is worthless. Ryle again. A cheap Christianity without a cross will prove in the end a useless Christianity without a crown. And oh, what a cost it was to redeem us to redeem lost sinners. It costs the sacrificial death of the Son of God. Brother and sister, we were bought with a precious price. We were redeemed, not with perishable things like silver or gold from our futile way of life, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. This high cost of redemption should cause the redeemed to love and live selflessly, selflessly, not selfishly, before Christ in grateful obedience. He did not shed his blood for his people so that we could live like the world, talk like the world, consume like the world. The beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God does for man what man could not do for himself. Dear Christian, Christ, paid, Christ died for you, paid the ultimate price, paid a debt you could not pay so that you could have eternal life. The question is, does your life reflect that? There has been a radical, God-wrought change in your life. Does your life reflect that? From being dead in sins to alive in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. God, as we consider this text this morning, as we considered the cost. We considered what happens to a Christian and how the world 
will look at us, will mock us, and we ought to respond and say, oh, it is worth it because of our Savior. It's not easy. There's a hard road set before us, but you are there with us, never leave us nor forsake us, and you give us the grace to endure. And we're those who are of the world who hate you and who hate us, and it is more obvious to us. God, give us the grace to respond rightly. Give us the grace to respond appropriately. And also, Lord, give us discernment to know when we ought not to cast your precious pearls before swine. Oh, Lord, thank you that you chose us out of this world. There was nothing in ourselves. We should be um, walking in humility because we have done nothing. You've done it all. What a precious price it was. Christ, you redeemed us. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Oh, Lord, that our lives would reflect the love that we have because of you and what you have done in our lives, regardless of the cost and regardless of the hostility in this world. God, in this dark world, we ask that you would continue to have us shine brightly and that we would proclaim your truth till the end of the age, till you call us home, or until the Lord returns. In Jesus' name, amen.